This is the Eye on New York podcast. I'm Robert Hardy. It's good to be back recording a podcast. It's been a couple of months. The last time I recorded a podcast, we were going through the New York 24 Democratic designation process. And then I took a little bit of a break, thinking that in March, restart things, you know, do a lot of interviews leading up to uh, what was then the presidential primary in late April and the 50th Senate District special election also in late April. Uh, But of course, a lot has changed uh, in the last several weeks, and that's really uh, the main focus of the podcast today. I don't have any interviews. Just going to uh, really discuss uh, what it's been like covering the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, how that's changed you know, political campaigns and how that's changed the political calendar because there have been a lot of developments on this front uh, even within the last few days uh, that certainly change what, uh, uh, you know, what was planned for the next uh, few months at least. Uh, and so uh, wanted to focus on that today. And um, uh, again, no guess. But, uh, you know, we'll certainly talk a little politics, but, you know, again, mainly just wanted to uh, reflect on what it's been like uh, covering this pandemic. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that a lot of you can relate uh, to, you know, some of these experiences uh, because it's been different. Uh, And for me, uh, you know, to kind of start early March, you know, I'm following, you know, the developments, you know, on the on the. Uh, in terms of this uh, outbreak in New York, uh, the first case of COVID-19 confirmed in New York. We know now that it was likely present for weeks, if not, uh, uh, you know, into months uh, before uh, the first confirmed case. But the first confirmed case was uh, March 1st. Uh, That's when it kind of creeped into my my beat a little bit because Governor Cuomo was talking about this and, uh, you know, what that would mean from the state's perspective. Uh, and then we saw in, in the ensuing days that, uh, you know, there were more cases in New Rochelle, uh, city in Westchester County, downstate area. And that's when it started to, you know, kind of pick up. You know, there were more cases. We had this cluster in New Rochelle, that was really one of the first uh, hot spots, if you will, uh, in in the United States, uh, at least in terms of COVID nineteen. And you know, it really, you know, put this on on my radar that this was going to be something that the state would have to deal with uh, in a big way, uh, because at that point the cases in New Rochelle were multiplying uh, by the day. It seemed like you know we went from having one to a few, and then it just, you know, there were dozens of cases after a while. Uh, for me, it hit home, though, when a co-worker of mine, uh, Chris Shira, he's one of our news editors, uh, he had a daughter uh, studying abroad. And uh, she was over in London, and, of course, you know, when she went over there, you know, I don't think this was on a lot of people's radar at the time, uh, but slowly uh, it certainly crept in. And, you know, we heard the cases, obviously, you know, this started in China, but we heard about the cases in Italy. Uh, and certainly it was it was spreading around the world. You know, it seemed by the day that you were hearing about more cases in different countries and, uh, you know, to varying degrees, of course, uh, you know, there were certainly uh, hot spots in some countries, and then it was just starting out in others. Uh, and certainly with, uh, in, 
Chris's case, his daughter was studying in London. And, you know, there were over several weeks, you know, they had cases in the UK, but uh, it wasn't a huge problem. And, you know, there was some thought that, well, maybe she could make it through the semester. Uh, and, uh, you know, that this won't be a, this won't be a problem. But uh, as we know now, uh, that certainly changed. And what happened uh, uh, with Chris's daughter, Maggie, who was uh, studying abroad, as I mentioned, uh, you know, there was this whole thing, you know, SUNY uh, decided to call back all students who were studying abroad in some of those high-risk countries, China, uh, Iran, Italy, South Korea. Uh, those kids all came back. Uh, they, were, they were sent home. Um, for, for the other students studying abroad, it was kind of this wait-and-see approach. Uh, and actually, within a week... Uh, what happened to Maggie was that, uh, you know, they, they gave the option, you can stay, but you have to sign this waiver. Uh, she wanted to stay. Uh, and then what happened uh, basically two or three days later is that uh, the decision was made that everybody was going to come home. Uh, and that's really, this was in, this goes back to March, uh, I think it was the week, uh, well, it was around, I think, March 13th when, when she came home. Uh, and that's really when it hit home for me because this was impacting, you know, a co-worker of mine, a friend of mine, you know, his, his daughter having to come home because of the COVID-19 outbreak. And uh, it certainly uh, sent the message that this was something serious. Um, we we'd already known that, but... You know, when you have that type of effect on, when it has that type of effect on someone close to you where, you know, it dramatically changes their their plans, uh, and certainly Chris, uh, he wasn't planning on having to, uh, you know, his daughter abruptly coming home, uh, so that was different, uh, and that's when it hit home that this was going to be something that was going to stick with us for a while. Uh, and certainly that continued uh, that weekend, so March 14th and 15th, uh, I wrote a ton of stories. Uh, I, I can't remember writing that much in a weekend ever, even leading up to an election. Usually, usually leading up to an election uh, can be a busy time. Uh, I tend to follow the candidates around during that, they call it the get out the vote weekend. You know, they're trying to... Uh, make sure that their supporters will get to the polls, and um, you know they're they're kind of doing a, a a last round of door knocking and that kind of thing and outreach. And you know usually you have a few stories to write from from that, and you know maybe some debates and uh, whatever else may come up. But this was unlike any of that. Uh, I I think if I remember correctly, I wrote between 10 and 15 stories that weekend. I can't remember the exact number, but it was double digits. Uh, and it was just ever changing. Uh, I told, uh, I told some coworkers at the time, it's a nonstop breaking news story. Uh, and you know, I, 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 I think it's certainly at this point, not to get too ahead of myself in the storytelling at this point, uh, it has kind of slowed down a bit. Uh, there's still a lot of different news items to report, you know, now we're talking about reopening, but at that time, uh, it was just, you know, it was, it, it was, it was nonstop. I mean, there was, there was something new, it seemed, uh, 
you know, every five minutes or 15 minutes or an hour. Uh, it was just nonstop. It was relentless. And, uh, you know, that was the weekend that here in Cayuga County, a state of emergency was declared, which allowed for the closure of schools. Uh, so schools have been closed since that since that order was issued, which I believe was on a Saturday. So that on that March 14th, uh, that's when uh, that state of emergency declaration was issued, and uh, schools have been closed ever since. Uh, the state uh, had um, followed with its own, you know, stay-at-home order and closure of non-essential businesses, which have been in place since uh, since about you know mid to late March, and uh, uh, so that. That was certainly a big change. That that weekend, that three-day span, really, is when a lot changed. And then uh, coming in on Monday, March 16th, uh, it was, uh, you know, a wake-up call in a lot of ways because the work didn't stop. There were still a ton of different stories to write about. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, our parent company, Lee Enterprises, put out a notice to uh, to all the... The newspapers in the company basically saying that if uh, if if employees can work from home, they should. Uh, and in my case, uh, I can work from home. Uh, I you know I have a cell phone, obviously. I have a laptop. Uh, I have an internet connection at home, so I can use all of these things to uh, to cover what I need to cover. And uh, so I've been working from home. My first day working from home was St. Patrick's Day. And I've been working from home ever since. Uh, and uh, it's been uh, a different experience. And, you know, certainly in, in March it was busy, and then into early April, uh, just looking at it from a local perspective, uh, I covered uh, when Cuga County announced its first case, uh, because this has been, you know, I've covered different layers of this the federal response, you know, the state level uh, issues. And, and how this has affected us locally. And, um, you know, I, I covered the, uh, the press conference where uh, Cuga County uh, health officials announced uh, the first positive test result, uh, the first case. That was a, a gentleman who was actually passing through, didn't even live, uh, I think he was an out-of-state resident, but uh, had tested positive in Cuga County. He had the symptoms and... Um, and so that was, uh, uh, that was, uh, another wake up call uh, of sorts that, uh, you know, not only is this something that we're going to have to deal with just broadly, but it's something that is hitting close to home. It's now, there's a case that, uh, is right in our backyard. Uh, and, you know, the thing was at the local level, you know, there are only a handful of cases, uh, in the month of March, but obviously, uh, at the time, the number of cases continued to grow in other parts of New York, and I actually have uh, one of my sisters uh, is a healthcare worker uh, uh, on Long Island, and uh, she works at a hospital. And uh, you know, her hospital over time more and more COVID nineteen patients, and uh, as of last week, that was still the case. Uh, and you know, she's she usually. Uh, uh, you know, I won't. I won't give you her uh, formal title, but uh, basically, she handles heart procedures and that kind of thing. Usually, well, uh, a lot of that stuff 
uh, unless it's needed, obviously uh, has been has been kind of put aside, and a lot of people are chipping in to help with uh, the care of uh, these COVID-19 patients. And uh, uh, a lot of the stories I've heard, mainly from downstate hospitals, is that uh, you know the hospitals are packed. And uh, it has not been an easy road for, for certainly the people, obviously, that contract the, the virus, uh, but uh, certainly for the people caring for them as well. Uh, it hasn't been an easy time. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of upstate, you know, we look at the numbers and uh, obviously not the same, same number of uh, cases, but I do know uh, a high school classmate of mine uh, who's a nurse, he uh, he works in the Buffalo area, and uh, I guess he was he was talking to my uh, mom recently. He used to work for her at uh, at uh, her store, and uh, he was saying that uh, you know he their hospital uh, has has a lot of cases too uh, in in the Buffalo area. So um, you know it's it's a uh, it's just a devastating uh, virus. And we've seen the the impact of that. You know, ten. You know, I think we're up to sixteen, seventeen thousand deaths in New York. Uh, we have uh, uh, so many cases, hundreds of thousands of cases now uh, nationwide. Uh, the deaths nationwide, I think, in the fifty to sixty thousand range uh, at last count, and uh, it, it's just having a devastating impact. And, and of course, there's also the economic. Uh, aspect of this, which uh, with Governor Cuomo on Sunday, he outlined his plan for reopening the economy. Uh, there, the, some businesses are obviously still operating. You know, you have bars and restaurants, and you have hospitals and different healthcare facilities, and there's some essential manufacturing going on. But there's other businesses that uh, have been shut down since really, uh, as I mentioned earlier, mid to late March. And uh, they haven't been able to uh, operate as they normally would. And uh, when they do come back, uh, there's obviously going to be some limitations there. They're going to have to make some changes to adapt, uh, to keep workers safe, and to uh, you know really allow themselves to stay open. Uh, because without that, they're not going to be able to uh, to function. Uh, you know, they they could get uh, they could get shut down again. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, that's been an interesting story to follow, too, uh, just the effect on, on businesses. And uh, certainly, you know, we're not immune uh, to this. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things to kind of get into the April part of my uh, personal account here is that uh, uh, early April we learn that uh, there are going to be furloughs. Uh, at our newspaper, uh, and what that means is that uh, you know it really means different things for different people. But for me, you know, as an hourly uh, employee, uh, that means that uh, I, I will need to take the equivalent of two weeks uh, furloughed. Uh, I can break it up by days, so I'm going to break mine up so that I can continue to cover <laughs> on, a, on a weekly basis uh, the story uh, in, in limited time. I I will be off uh, actually beginning next week. Uh, I I uh, I won't have uh, I won't ha I won't be working uh, two of those days, uh, and I'll be taking off two days 
each week, I think it is in, in May at this point. Uh, and so it's, it's going to be different. Uh, and then, you know, in June, we have to take the 10 days by the end of June. So what I'm going to do is, because I have uh, elections to cover uh, in, in June, uh, I'm going to take a couple days after the primary to um, uh, to complete my my tent furlough days, so you know I, I there's been some criticism I know of the media obviously um, as usual <laughs> not not too surprising about that uh, not too surprised about that but um, you know one of the things I've heard is that uh, you know oh you guys don't understand the the economic impact of this oh we we very much do um, you know certainly we. You know, I, I feel for the people that have lost businesses uh, or have had to shut down businesses. You know, I, I can't uh, I can't relate with that necessarily, but for the workers, you know, I, I certainly see how that's affected uh, how that's affected people. Whether it's you know your hours being reduced or having to be furloughed, just like just like we are. Um, you know, it's having an economic impact as well. And so, you know, there's talk of reopening and how do you balance the public health and the economic uh, concerns. Uh, and those are all valid things uh, that uh, go into a, uh, a safe reopening. Um, you know, one of the things that there seems to be agreement on is that, uh, you know, businesses, when they do reopen, they'll have to be responsible and they'll have to put safety measures in place. And, and that's certainly... Uh, valid on on all accounts you know i think uh, there's a lot of agreement there that it's not just going to be reopening like it was in february um you know life has changed a lot in the last several weeks uh, and people are going to need to adjust uh, to that but um you know after that uh that news about the furloughs uh that week actually was a busy week uh, on a lot of different levels. Uh, it just followed uh, passage of the federal stimulus bill. That that's the one that included, you know, expansion of unemployment benefits, uh, the the uh, stimulus payments that have gone out, uh, the twelve hundred dollar checks, twenty four hundred for for joint filers, uh, and then uh, there's some additional uh, five hundred dollar payments in there for children of a certain age, sixteen and under. Uh, so, you know, that was a busy time, you know, the aftermath of that bill passing and different stories I was writing then about, you know, who who's getting a, a stimulus check and, you know, who's going to be eligible, that kind of thing. Uh, then on the, the state level, obviously, Governor Cuomo was giving his briefings and I was writing about that, you know, the changes in hospitalizations. Uh, that's when um, things really picked up. We saw those numbers uh, increasing to uh, high levels, uh, 17, 18,000, you know, really concerning uh, numbers uh, when you look at the statewide picture. And even for New York City hospitals, you know, there's several hospitals in the downstate area, and uh, but they don't have uh, 10,000, tens of thousands of beds each. You know, they, they're pretty limited. And so uh, for a lot of these hospitals, uh, it was overwhelming. Uh, so there was that state issue, and then at the local level, we started to see really, I think this, when we look back on it, because things seem to be slowing down now, but this seems to be the, the peak or, uh, or apex, whatever you want to call it, 
um, uh, or plateau or whatever whatever word you want to use uh, to describe uh, what happened in Cuyahoga County because we did see an increase in the number of cases. Uh, one day there were 11 new cases. Um, I, I think in a five-day span it was over 20 or so cases. Uh, so it was a busy week, and then into the next week it, it it wasn't as bad, but there were there were still more cases coming in. So really, within that two week period is when we we saw most of the cases locally. Uh, and so I was covering all of this uh, early April. It was a busy time. Um, can't say I was writing uh, <laughs> uh, seven or so stories on the weekend still, uh, but it was it was busy. You know, you were definitely writing. Uh, at least for me, uh, I was writing a few stories a day, at least, um, and uh, uh, it was it was busy. There were there were a lot of different angles to cover, and then uh, we did end up having uh, the first death, uh, so far the only death, fortunately, uh, uh, knock on wood, in in Cuga County. Um, uh, to lose only one person in this is just. You know, looking at some of the numbers statewide, it's just uh, uh, surprising uh, in a lot of ways that uh, we were able to escape the the worst of this, at least so far. Uh, it seems like Cuyahoga County uh, people, for the most part, have have really responded to the calls for you know social distancing and uh, you know ending those mass gatherings and protecting themselves when they're in public and. Uh, you know, to have only one person die, and you know, there's only been a handful of hospitalizations uh, as well. So the the hospital, uh, we have one hospital in Cuyahoga County uh, that hasn't been overwhelmed uh, by um, uh, by this virus. So uh, so we've been we've been fortunate uh, on that side of it as well. But you know the, the the death that was reported was certainly a low point uh, in all this. You you never want to see that. Uh, you know we were seeing that elsewhere, and we hoped that it wouldn't happen here, and unfortunately it did. Uh, and uh, you know covered that press conference as well. Uh, some of these press conferences, by the way, um, just to recap, uh, you know I covered one in uh, March, and so that these, this is really when I get a chance to get out of the house. Uh, <laughs> Uh, during the week, at least, you know, on the weekends, I do take walks just to get fresh air, and and, and it's nice, uh, certainly. Um, but uh, the press conferences for a while—that's that was the way I was getting out of the house, and um, you know, they they were few and far between, and uh, you know, it, it um, uh, it's just been interesting to you know follow those developments, and they they were often called on short notice was. The point I'm getting at, uh, the first, the one that announced the positive case, uh, I think we got a, a an advisory. It was at like five o'clock or something that day, and they said, you know, we're going to be announcing this six thirty or seven or something. So I had to hustle, you know, to to get ready and uh, uh, and head out, and it was it was different. Uh, you know, the at the time you didn't have the uh, you know, the state of emergency was in, in place, but you didn't have, like, this broader uh, statewide stay-at-home order yet. But what I remember is driving down uh, Genesee Street in Auburn, because that's where the, the press conference was. It was in uh, the health department's offices, which, which uh, you know, you can get to it from two different streets. Dill Street, where the citizens located, 
uh, but also Genesee Street. And um, uh, what I remember is, you know, you're driving down the street and it's just bare, uh, with the exception of a few cars. And uh, uh, it, it was just different. You could sense that uh, this new normal had arrived where... You know, certain things uh, were obvious. A lot of things were, were shut down in downtown Auburn uh, that normally wouldn't be. Usually, even on a, you know, that was a Wednesday, I think. Uh, even on a Wednesday, uh, you know, it's a busy place. You know, you have law offices down there. You know, a lot of a lot of people there working past five. Uh, you have restaurants, obviously, so you have a lot of cars for those. So it was unusual to see such a lack of activity. Uh, and then, you know, in uh, subsequent press conferences, uh, there were a couple. Um, there was one on testing in early April. Uh, I think that was the day that we found out about the furloughs or the day after. Um, but uh, that was different because it was at Cuga Community College. And, of course, the college had uh, shut down for, they had, uh, uh, this was actually one of the early, COVID-19 stories I did, uh, the, the college had decided to shift to a, a distance learning model. Uh, and so the, the, the campus would remain open to some degree, uh, but uh, it, it wasn't open for classes. Uh, you know, you could go in and use the computer, but they weren't going to have events there. They weren't going to have uh, classes there. Uh, so I remember going to that press conference again in early April, and um, uh, it was just totally different. Uh, you walk in, it was quiet. Usually when you walk in there, you know, midday uh, during the week, uh, you, you know, you're going to see students. You're going to see students, faculty, staff walking around. You know, it's usually a busy place. Uh, and it was anything but. That day I walked in and it was just really me and, a, and uh, the CCC security guard. Um, uh, and he... he directed me to the uh, to the press conference site and um, you know that was the first press conference I covered with social distancing um, where you know our chairs were spaced out and uh, um, you know that that was provided for us so uh, and I did cover when they did announce the uh, uh, the first death um, I was there for that as well and um, I, I was the only the only media but uh, certainly social distancing was possible then and there was hand sanitizer and you know you, when he walked in this was at the Cuba County office building uh, when he walked in uh, they had hand sanitizer and uh, a box of masks surgical masks that you could take and, and put on uh, so that was my first uh, mask experience um, in the field anyway so it, it's been different and uh, to kind of segue into you know this is obviously a political podcast um you know it's changed uh the political calendar as well uh like i said i i planned on you know right in fact uh uh tomorrow uh or today rather april 28th uh would have been the day uh of the special election uh in the 50th state senate district and the presidential primary democratic presidential primary in new york of course, that um, uh, that's not happening, and uh, those those elections, because of uh, COVID nineteen and concerns about public health, 
those elections were moved to June 23rd. Um, you know, it, it's possible that the presidential primary will be canceled. Uh, there was uh, supposed to be a meeting on Monday about this. Uh, looks like that got canceled. Uh, so no decision on the on the status of that primary yet. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, uh, with that. But as of this recording, uh, looks like no change to the primary schedule yet. Uh, but uh, I'll keep you posted on that. But um, in terms of the special election, it was pushed back, again, due to the public health concerns. And then on Friday, uh, we learned that uh, the governor... Uh, had put out this executive order, and it was mainly focused on an announcement he made earlier in the day regarding uh, absentee ballots. Uh, the, this idea of uh, mailing uh, absentee ballot applications to every eligible voter uh, for, for that um, uh, for those elections, uh, and uh, for the primary election uh, in June, the June twenty third elections. Um, but with that was. Uh, you know, separate paragraph uh, later in the in the order that said that the five special elections in state legislative districts, uh, including the fiftieth, the fiftieth state senate race, uh, now were canceled. Uh, so those special elections are off. There won't be a special election in the fiftieth district. The seat will be filled. Uh, there was going to be a general election anyway, obviously for the seat. Uh, and so that's when it will be filled. The only thing about that is that that election, the winner, uh, won't take office until January. And so it'll be a full year uh, that uh, this district went without a, a representative. Uh, so, uh, again, the candidates in that race, Democratic candidate John Mannion, Republican candidate Angie Renna, uh, they're both on the ballot for the general election. Uh, they were both going to run in the special election. Uh, that won't be... Um, happening anymore, uh, and so they'll their focus will shift to the to the general. Uh, but there are still uh, elections to cover, uh, even if the let's say they do cancel the the presidential primary. Um, uh, even without that, uh, uh, there are elections to cover uh, here in Central New York. Obviously, uh, the one that's going to get a lot of attention is the twenty fourth congressional district Democratic primary. Uh, that's still happening June 23rd, uh, the race between Dana Balter and Francis Canole. Uh, I've, I've actually checked in with them uh, throughout this process because it's certainly been different for candidates. Uh, usually candidates would be uh, holding events. Uh, you know, Dana Balter likes uh, house parties, so she'll go uh, and uh, headline some house parties. And I know Francis Canole, he does these Canole on Your Corner events where he'll go to different, you know, brew pubs and restaurants or, you know, people's homes uh, and do these different events. Uh, so for both candidates, that's totally changed. And, uh, you know, in talking with them through this, uh, they shut down their offices. So they're not working out of their offices uh, at the present time. And, um, uh, you know, it's totally changed what they were planning to do uh, in the spring. And you look at it now, I mean, we're less than a month away from the primary, or less than two months away from the congressional uh, primary, and uh, they haven't been able to do any sort of public events, at least in the last uh, several weeks. Uh, so maybe uh, in late May, uh, they'll be able to do some sort of small-scale 
uh, public events. Uh, maybe they'll hold some press conferences or you know whatever. But uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Uh, it's possible that uh, come come May uh, they won't be able to, um, uh, or you know come late May they won't be able to campaign. But then going into June, uh, which is the month of the primary, uh, that might be their last opportunity. And we'll see if they they even get that opportunity. It depends on uh, what kind of uh, limitations are still in place then. To hold some fundraisers and house parties and that kind of thing, uh, I'm sure that there's still going to be some restrictions in place uh, until then. So um, it's going to be challenging for the candidates. Uh, you know, it's uh, obviously affecting all candidates. So it's, uh, you know, it's uh, at least balanced in that sense. But uh, certainly a uh, not what they plan on doing uh, in an election year. Uh, it certainly has changed that. Uh, and then. Uh, at least in our coverage area, there's a primary involving uh, uh, the 126th uh, Assembly District uh, on the Republican side. Uh, the candidates are John Lamondes, uh, who's an Army veteran. Uh, he's a farmer now uh, in uh, Jamesville. Uh, and uh, his, his opponent in the uh, Republican primary is Danny Fitzpatrick, uh, who is uh, the Lafayette uh, town supervisor in Onondaga County and the son of uh, the DA there, uh, William Fitzpatrick. Uh, so they are uh, running for that seat. Um, it's been, there were, <laughs> uh, there's been a change in that race because of uh, what happened at the end of March. Uh, and you might remember, I did some reporting on this at the time, that Kenneth Bush III uh, had won the designation uh, from the Republican, Conservative, and Independence parties, uh, and uh, you know he won the designation. Uh, he was backed by those three parties, and he started circulating petitions. Well, during that process, uh, I started to hear from people that oh, he might might get out of the race, which that that was a shock. Uh, I must say that uh, although it's possible, there is a mechanism to do that. Uh, after that process plays out, the designation process plays out. Um, I I hadn't seen uh, anything like that happen before, where a candidate uh, gets those endorsements, circulates petitions, submits those petitions, and then uh, it uh, uh, it completely changes from there. Uh, it, it, with respect to uh, their, you know, they decline the. The nomination and then uh, they're replaced on the ballot. Uh, again, I hadn't seen that happen uh, until now uh, with with what happened in the in the 126. Uh, Bush decides that uh, he's not going to continue uh, to campaign. Uh, he bows out of the race. He de formally declines uh, uh, that that nomination or the designation. Uh, and uh, what that that initiated this. Uh, uh, committee, this vacancy committee, to fill his spot on the ballot. Uh, and that's where John Lamondes com comes in. Uh, Lamondes actually ran for Congress in 2014. He was the runner-up for the GOP designation that year. Uh, John Katko was the one who won the, the GOP's endorsement uh, in that process. Uh, so Lamondes, uh, he, uh, he's still been 
in central New York, but he hasn't been, uh, you know, at least uh, up until now, a political candidate. Uh, into, and then this opening came up, and uh, he decided to enter enter the assembly race. Uh, so it'll be Lamondes and Fitzpatrick uh, running in that uh, uh, running in that primary. So those two primaries still very much planned uh, for late June, uh, and so I'll have something to cover. Uh, certainly planned on covering the June 23rd primary anyway, but um, you know there's been a lot of changes to the schedule. You know, planned on covering a competitive presidential primary uh, that went away uh, uh, here in New York, uh, especially just how it's played out. You know, now you know, there's one candidate left standing, Joe Biden. Uh, Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign, although uh, you know it sounds like Sanders and his supporters want want him to stay on the ballot so he can get delegates and uh, kind of part of their push to, uh, you know, make some changes to the platform and uh, to, to have a say in that process. Uh, so we'll see how that works for them uh, here in New York, uh, whether or not uh, uh, it's really up to the, to the Democratic election commissioners uh, to decide whether or not that primary should continue. But... Uh, uh, but yeah, the special election, that's gone. Uh, presidential primary could be gone. Uh, so, you know, I had planned on covering uh, three elections this year. And, uh, you know, now we're really down to two, you know, with the, the congressional primary. And even if the presidential primary does happen, it would be June 23rd anyway. Uh, so uh, you're talking about June, uh, late June, and then, uh, of course, November. So uh, uh, it's been... It's been a wild uh, ride so far. Uh, you know, we're not. Uh, it's not over yet. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of different stories to cover. Whether it's, you know, the public health part of it, the economic, uh, the governmental impact. Uh, so there's a lot of different uh, angles to look at, and uh, you know, we'll keep following it. But with this podcast, I hope to uh, kind of get focused again on on politics, and so my plan going forward is to. Uh, you know, it'll be remotely uh, that we'll be doing it, but uh, uh, recording some uh, some interviews with the candidates uh, to discuss what they're up to. And, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, for now, I'll focus on the 24th District, uh, the congressional primary with, with Dana Balter and Francis Canole, and then the, uh, the assembly race as well uh, with uh, John Lamondes and Danny Fitzpatrick. I'm, I'm hoping to get uh, all four of them. Uh, on the podcast at some point uh, in the next several weeks. So uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting time. Uh, I, I hope that uh, you're all doing well or as well as you can, uh, you know, and that you're staying safe. Uh, it's been good to, to sit down and do this uh, finally to, to record a podcast, and uh, we'll keep it up. Uh, I'll post another on Thursday, uh, and I'll continue posting them every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, really, uh, throughout the uh, at least throughout this uh, lead up to the June primary, probably take a break over the summer, uh, and then we'll get uh, yeah, we'll get going again. Uh, certainly uh, after Labor Day, uh, leading up to the general election. So, um, uh, always great to sit down and record uh, this podcast. Uh, and uh, you know, if you guys have any questions, don't don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, you know, there's certain topics that you want covered. You know, I certainly welcome your feedback. You can reach me on Twitter at Robert Harding. 
uh, or you can email me at robert.harding at lee.net. So with that, uh, I'll wrap it up for today. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you Thursday.